Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Two Under, Ben Hogan Golf, Golf Pride, Srixon and their Z-Star Golf Balls, and the Sandiston Resort. Now here is your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Next on the T. I'm so glad you're here and so excited about tonight's show because my first guest is someone very dear to me because she's not only a Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor and a former LPGA Teacher of the Year, but she's just also one of the great people you get to meet in this life, and that's Cindy Miller. Make sure you go online to check out Cindy's website, cindymillergolf.com and cindymillerinc.com. She's got a ton of great content content on our golf site to help you improve your game. Tonight, I want to get Cindy's thoughts on a couple of things. First, I want to get an update on a couple of the programs that she has. First, the Your It box, which is help you find your it, what your it is. So we'll talk about that. I also want to talk to her about her Learn to Hit It kit. It's available on, again, cindymillergolf.com. Go check it out. But I want to talk to her about what that is and how that can help us as well. I also want to talk to Cindy about an article that she's recently written for the Buffalo News. She lives up in the Buffalo, New York area. And that article is How to Fix These Common Problems with Your Swing. So we'll talk about how to fix those. Really looking forward to having Cindy with me. She'll join me in just a few minutes. Following her, I'm going to get another return visit from a guy, like I said last week, is becoming quite a regular here on the show, and that's former PGA Tour caddy Andy Lano. Andy, you know, part of what uh, the theme of tonight is going to be is talking about slow play. I'll get Cindy's thoughts, but then also want to get Andy's thoughts about what it's like when you're a PGA Tour caddy and you've got a slow group playing in front of you. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it as a caddy? And how do you deal with it for your player so your player doesn't get frustrated and off his or her game, right? And uh, maintains focus and and a, and a positive attitude. So I want to talk to Andy about that. He'll join me a little bit later on in this half hour. And then I'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Class A teaching professional and co-host of the Michael Breed Show, A New Breed of Golf, Greg Ducharme. I'm going to get Greg's thoughts on the slow play issue. I also want to get Greg's thoughts on the PGA Tour playoff system. Is it working? Does anybody care about the PGA Tour playoffs? Does anyone care if Tiger Woods isn't in it and or also on top of the leaderboard? We'll get Greg's thoughts on all of those things. Looking forward to having him as part of the show. Get a couple of playing lessons from Greg uh, as well. So Greg will join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories and playing lessons coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Team. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. But before we get started, you know I always like to remind you about my good friend Mitch Lawrence and his podcast, Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, they let you know about great places to go stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're there. You can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm as well. Go there, check out their show, and learn about some of the hidden gems that we have around the country. His twin brother, Matthew, also has a great golf show. It's called Backspin Golf. That show airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can also stream that show by going online to WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app, and you can stream it there on your smartphone. It's a great way to kick off your Sunday mornings. Again, the name of the show is Backspin Golf, and you can stream it online at WLXG.com 
or on the WLXG app. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Take a listen to our good friend Steve Rondanero, who's going to let you know what they've got going on up there this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, be sure to check them out online at FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. And one thing Steve doesn't mention is, oh, by the way, they've got a casino on the property there for you as well. And well, folks, TaylorMade has done it again. The TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are a tremendous story. They both feature speed-injected twist face created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and folks, I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. So basically, every head is made to be tour spicy. So speed for all. Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com. And to play a ball with ultimate spin and stopping power, you need a physics-defying cover with molecular bonds that stretch but don't break. To play a ball that goes far and feels soft, you need a fast layer core with incredible feel and maximum distance. They're only in the new Z-Star and Z-Star XV golf balls, and they're only from Strixon Golf. Check them out online by going to Strixon.com. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. They've got their semi-annual sales event going on right now. Savings of up to 50% off on some items. In fact, their best-selling performance polo-style shirts are up to 60% off. Check it out online by going to bobbyjones.com. All right, now back in making her sixth appearance with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Cindy Miller. Let me remind you a little bit about Cindy's background. She's from Silver Creek, New York, which is about 45 miles southwest of Buffalo. She played her college golf as a walk-on, mind you, at the University of Miami. There she became an All-American her senior year, served as team captain to help Miami win back-to-back NCAA National Championships in 1977 and 78. She won the New York State Amateur Championship back in 1978 as well and qualified for the LPGA Tour in 79, played on the LPGA Tour for a few years. She competed in five U.S. Opens. She's a Class A LPGA professional. She was named LPGA Teacher of the Year in 2010, and Golf Digest has named her as one of the top 50 women teachers in America. Golf Tips Magazine has her as one of their top 25 instructors. In 2011, Cindy was inducted into the Greater Buffalo Sports Hall of Fame. And on top of all of that, she's a fantastic speaker and one of the great people you get to meet in this life, and I'm very excited. She is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Cindy, how are you? Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Cindy, catch us up. What's been going on with you so far this summer? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
Well, I'll tell you what, the weather's been great in Buffalo, believe it or not. We didn't have summer until June. It was pouring rain <laughs> most of the spring. Uh, and once it stopped snowing. And now it's been just busy, busy, busy. We've done some junior camps. We've got some boot camps coming up in Orlando. Uh, we've just been really, really busy. Corning, I was lucky enough to be invited to Corning Country Club's 100th anniversary with the Legends Tour. And they invited, wow. yeah, 26, you know, former tour players that play on the Legends Tour to come to Corning. We did a, a 10-person shootout, and then we did a pro-am, and they just had a huge, big party for their 100th anniversary, and I thought it was pretty awesome that they invited uh, the former LPGA Tour players who played in the Corning Classic. So that was great. No doubt. So, Cindy, you do so many great things across the board for junior players, for your adult students, for corporate training and speaking and all of those sorts of things. For people that are, aren't as aware of the corporate training and speaking that you do, let our listeners know they're out there looking for someone that can come in and motivate and teach a lot of the different things that you have in your toolkit for, uh, for their corporate um, employees and whatnot. Let them know about the great things that you do and what you bring when you speak to the to, uh, different corporations. Well, it, it all started when my husband and I, Alan, and we happen to be the only married couple in the world that have played on all four major tours, the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, the PGA Tour Champions, and the Legends Tour of the LPGA. And we went to a seminar, and this woman was speaking from the stage and talking about how her husband drove her nuts. And I was like, yeah, I got one of them. And uh, so I paid attention to what she was saying. And I, and I, she had written a book called Personality Plus. So as soon as she was done talking, I went to the back of the room. And, of course, I bought the book. And in the book was a personality assessment. So I took the test for me. And then, of course, I took it for Alan. And then I sat there and read off all of his weaknesses to him. And I had a delayed intelligence attack, and I was like, oh, my God, you can't help yourself. I thought you acted like this on purpose just to drive me nuts. And it was really, I mean, I was married, and we had a kid or two at this point. And I had never, ever heard or learned that there were different behavior styles. So it really was, you know, like I said, a delayed intelligence attack. So I was so intrigued. I found out that I could go get certified to learn how to do this better and teach it to people. So that being said, once I was certified, I was like, I'm not the only idiot that doesn't know anything about this. And I started doing teaching and training programs with golf teams. So Alan and I would go together. I mean, he, if you were going to compare tour players, he's Jason Duffner or Ernie Els, Mr. Chill, and I'm Suzanne Patterson or Tiger Woods right? So I'm a high D competitive control freak maniac and he's Mr. Chill, which means you have to play with your own behavior style. So I finally got certified in not only behavior, but motivation and judgment, which is how do you perceive people and do you have biases towards people? And so one thing led to another and we got invited to go speak at the Microsoft World Partner Conference. So I, wow. I did these sessions 
with Microsoft and, and it, people are people. I mean, people have trouble with people that aren't just like them. So again, you know, it, it, we've done it with Merck. We've done it with Microsoft. We've done it with other companies, with different insurance companies, banking industry. So it doesn't matter if you're playing golf or you're working in the back office or you're the CEO of the company. Learning how to deal with people is very, very important. So that's what we do. So, Cindy, take take that, and we've talked the last few times about another program that you have, which is your It Box. And so, talk. It seems very related to me, and both of you know, in both of those things, talk about your It Box and the you know personal development program you created associated with that. So, Alan. Now I have to give you the backstory. Alan happened to be an alcoholic. Alan was had a dad who was a competitive control freak who was totally opposite of him. So if you're a Tiger Woods and you have a child that's a Jason Duffner, you believe that this kid doesn't care, if that makes sense. Because uh-huh. they look unmotivated, right? But Alan's the second purest ball striker Dave Pels has ever tested. So it's not that he doesn't care. He does things differently. Does that make sense? Sure. I filed for divorce. I lost the divorce. The divorce never got filed. The papers never got filed in the courthouse. Alan tried to commit suicide, and and I'm acting like this isn't a big deal. It was a big deal. We never filed the papers in the courthouse. That was 1998. Alan was in a mental hospital twice. He hasn't had a drink since 1996, which is a total miracle. And somehow, some way, you know, I don't know, I think be a God, he gave me this box, the it box. And there's three things in the box. The first thing in the box, if you choose to pursue your it, which what is it? Your potential, your passion, and your purpose in life is a nail. And that nail signifies pain. So if you were sitting on a nail, would you stay there and allow it to hurt? Or would you get up? How bad does it have to hurt to be willing to change? The second thing in the box, if you choose to pursue your it, is a mirror. You have to be willing to look in the mirror to see what your strengths are, your weaknesses. What do you need to fix? Where do you want to go? What do you need to learn to be able to get what you want? And the third thing in the box is a seed. So if you choose to pursue your it, you need to know why, which is the nail. You need to have the what, what is, you know, who are you? What do you want? You look in the mirror. And the third thing is the seed. You have to do something about it. So the funny thing is the seed came to me in 1998 when I was sitting at a marriage counselor's office whining about Alan and crying and the tears are dripping down my eyes and the boogers are going in my mouth because I don't have any Kleenex. And the guy gets up and I happen to be a Christian. He goes in and get me, gets me a wad of toilet paper, and he comes back and he hands me the wad of toilet paper, and he says, the Lord just told me to tell you something. And I looked up like a little brat, and I go, oh, really? What did he tell you to tell me? He said, he told me to tell you that he's planted a seed in your life, and you need to quit digging it up to see if it's growing. You need to leave the seed alone and water it and put it in the light. And if you do, there's no telling how good this will be. So that's the third thing in the box, a nail a mirror, and a seed. So when I go in and do my speaking engagements, I have a presentation called The Privilege of Pressure. I share this story, 
and then I challenge people to pursue their it. And I've also started a nonprofit for kids. So we've delivered the program in four school systems in Western New York, some of the poorest neighborhoods there are, with refugee kids who don't even speak English. And those kids are take part in a six-week program. We've created a youth profile so they know what their behavior style is. They learn what motivates them to action. And then they have to make vision boards for their future. So it gives them hope. We also help them understand why some teachers drive them nuts and why some teachers can't stand them. And then we teach them how to communicate better with those people who are opposite from them. So that's what I'm doing. Wow. That's amazing stuff, Cindy. I, and and along the way, there's got to be some really cool success stories. What are some of the things that you're hearing or, or you know, actually witnessing from the people that get involved with your, the You're It box and, the, and that program from where they started to where they're at now? Well, it's only been a couple years, but I can tell you that the attendance record of the kids that took part in the program is much better. I can tell you that when I see them, you know, and, I, and it's funny because I, I do an assembly first because people have to choose to pursue their it. I have this thing about it. I don't want to try to make somebody do something they don't want to do. So they have to opt into the program. And um, I, I, they run up to me and they go, Cindy, you know, how are you? I miss you. How are you? You know, so they get written up less. There's less disciplinary action. Their grades have gone up. They're absent much less. So definitely good things are happening. And it's only the beginning. Cindy, I want to switch gears a little bit because you have so much great content on your website. Again, cindymillergolf.com. And you have a learn to hit it kit. Talk about what that is. You know, it's funny. I was doing a corporate outing and there were a bunch of young women there. And, and I said, why aren't you guys playing golf? And they go, we don't know what we're doing. And I said, well, you got to really, you got to learn to play golf because it's going to give you access to the big boys. And when you know how to play, you know, they're going to respect you more. And they said, well, you know what? That's great. That's beautiful. But I don't want to get home from work and have to hire a babysitter and then have some male chauvinist pig looking down my blouse while he's trying to give me a lesson. They said, why don't you teach us how to play in, in our backyard? And I said, what a great idea. So we have a daughter who happens to be a producer at the Golf Channel. So I said, all right, Kelly, here's what we're going to do. We're going to hire a freelance videographer. We hired two of them. And we're going to put these videos together, and we're going to create an online course. So it's called the Learn to Hit It Kit. So anybody that needs to learn how to play golf in their own backyard, they get a mat, they get foam golf balls, they get my Golf 101 for Executive book, they get the online course, and they get a coupon for 10% off anything from Callaway. So from there, right, I'm assuming you're getting, you're getting more and more females that are becoming more interested in the game. We talk an awful lot about growing the game. How can we grow the game, right? And this is an, an opportunity, and I'm, I'm sure it's not just for women, but for people to learn how to do that and how to get better at playing the game without, as you point out, having to leave their families, leave their children, to go spend an hour or more, whether it's at the driving range or going out and playing nine or whatever that is, 
and an opportunity to grow the game by giving people an opportunity to do the, learn the skills in their backyard. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So anybody that might be interested sure. in the Pursue Your Ed project, if you would like to take the assessment, there's a free assessment. If you go to cindymillerinc.com forward slash nail it, you can take a free assessment. And it will tell you your behavior style and what motivates you to action. So that's cindymillerinc.com forward slash nail it. Cindy, you also have a four-month program called Own Your Game. Talk about what that program is all about. Again, you know, people... The more you know yourself, the better you're going to get at golf. And tour players, their only inventory is themselves. So they need to know who they are. They need to know whether they're left-brained, right-brained, what their behavior style is, if they're audiovisual kinesthetic, how they learn, because you can't make a Jason Duffner act like a Tiger Woods. And any, and this is so important for parents because there's so many parents who think they've got the next Michelle Weir, Tiger Woods in their family, and they're trying to make these kids be somebody they're not, and they're just going to end up getting whacked out. So it's really important. The Own Your Game Academy is a four-month program. They, everyone takes the behavior assessment, the motivation assessment, the audio-visual kinesthetic assessment, and then they have to learn, number one, how to hit the ball clean, airborne, and straight on purpose. That's that's only part of the program. You have to learn, you know, the skill acquisition to be able to hit the ball. Then you have to be able to hit the ball where you want it to go when you want it to go there, which is, you know, that's a whole nother, you know, learning session in itself. How do I score? So that's what the Own Your Game Academy is. And then we also do boot camps in Florida. We've got, uh, in fact, we've got a boot camp coming up at French Lick Resort during the Senior LPGA Championship, which I absolutely love French Lick. And then we've got a boot camp in Orlando in November and February, March, and April. Cindy, you mentioned the, the, the ladies senior tour, right? We're finally making some headway with that tour. We had the U.S. Senior Women's Open earlier this year in May at Pine Needles, which was won by Helen Alfredson. So we're, we're starting to see a little traction there. We started out with the uh, with the, the tournament there at French Lick, and now I feel like we're getting traction with that tour. Talk about what's going on there and, and uh, what you see as the future. Well, we are getting traction because we have two major championships, which is I'm very grateful for. I believe that um, we need more. Jane Geddes is now our president of the Legends Tour. She's working closely with the LPGA to help us get more events. I believe that, you know, if you partnered with the Legends Tour to not only compete, but to also do corporate clinics and junior clinics and teach people how to play, that I think you're getting so much bang for your buck for a really good price. And people that, you know, of our generation, which is, I guess you'd say from 40 and up, you know, you're going to recognize these names, Nancy Lopez, Julie Inkster, Helen Alfredson, Laura Davies, Rosie Jones, Patty Sheehan, you know, really, really good players. And one of the great things, and I talk to our friends at French Lick all the time, one of the great things about the Legends Tour is the fact that you really get much closer access to the LPGA Legends players than you do probably on any other tour or maybe even in any other sport. 
Talk about how great it is to interact with the fans and how closely that happens with the Legends Tour. Well, you're absolutely right. And it's amazing how close we do get to the fans. In fact, Dave Harner just sent me an email today and said, I need you to do a clinic for Old National Bank. While you're here, can you do that? And I'm going to have to tweak the dates of our golf school that we we're going to have. But we, you know, I offer golf schools to the, to the people that come to the tournament. We do a one day golf school at the, at the links, um, the smaller course down below the PI right. and the Donald Ross. Um, we play in the pro-ams. I've had people that were my scorers come to my boot camps. You become friends with these people. And that's why Corning wanted us to come back. I mean, these girls came back to Corning and stayed in the private housing they used to stay at 20 years ago. How cool is that? I mean, these right. are lifelong relationships that are made. It's not just, oh, go watch this tour player and leave. You make friends. That's awesome. Cindy, I want to switch gears a little bit again because I want to get your thoughts on, you know, the hot topic around the tour right now on the, on the, the PGA side is around slow play. For a person that has been out on the LPGA tour playing, when you have someone in the group ahead of you that's playing slow, how much does that impact, you know, your game and the rest of the field that day? Well, yes, it drives everyone nuts. But, you know, if you allow it to bother you, it's going to ruin your game. So, you just you can't let it bother you and you have to make sure that the rules officials are on top of it because once a group is behind they need to be timed and once they're timed they have to be given they have to be penalized it's the only way there has to be a consequence for their action if there's a consequence for the action they might learn to play a little quicker if there's no consequence they're getting away with it so they could care less who they're hurting that's my opinion and again part of it is the fact that this behavior style again so a high c personality is Mr. Perfectionist. You know, Bernard Langer once asked his caddy if that yardage was from the front of the sprinkler or the back of the sprinkler. Well, that's <laughs> a little left-brained, right? And so, again, that person is cautious, superstitious, superstitious, and they're going to take longer to play, which is the same thing with Bryson, you know, DeChambeau. He's very scientific, so he's got to learn to do his routine in 40 seconds or less. So unless there's a consequence, it's not going to change. What's the right consequence, do you think, to get someone's attention? Two shots. Okay. Sorry. Two shots. Here yeah. you go. <laughs> I, I mean, they'll shut up, right? Right. I mean, why should they hold up the whole tournament? I got to learn to do it faster. Why can't you? They've got to learn to think faster. Part of learning to play golf is while you're walking up to the shot, you know, inspect the option. How far do I have? Where's the trouble? Acknowledge where stupid would hit the ball. Avoid stupid at all costs. What's the wind doing? What's my lie look like? What's my playable yardage? What's the best shot to play from here? Pick the club and go. The more you think about it, the more you're going to stand there and freeze, and then you're going to choke, and then you're going to hit it bad, and then you're going to take longer. So, Cindy, I want to get a couple of playing lessons before I let you go. And, and you've written a wonderful article for the Buffalo News about how to fix some common problems with our swings. And the first thing you talk about is making clean contact. Talk about what you mean by that. So, 
You can hit it fat, which is digging to China, which is hitting the ground way behind the ball. You can hit it clean, which is at the bottom of the arc, perfectly brushing the grass before the ball. You can hit it thin, which is picking it up a little bit higher from the ground on the ball. You can top it, which is hitting the top of the ball, or you can whiff it. So there's fat, clean, thin, top, whiff. Five options. Now, your face can be square, open, or closed, right? So we're not talking about direction of the ball. We're only talking about contact. So when you get tight or when people tell you, which I call those people the committee of bay, keep your arms straight, don't bend your wrists, they're making you swing really stiff, which is going to help you dig to China and hit it fat. It's also going to help pull you up out of your posture, which is going to help you hit it thin. So if you were bowing over, and I call it partially puking, so if you bow over from the waist, like you're going to throw up a little bit, not a lot, then the weight's going to be on the balls of your feet, and your arms are going to hang from your shoulders. And if you swing the club head, not the grip, if you swing the club head and you allow the wrist to swing back and forth like a pendulum, you will brush the ground, and you will hit it clean. It's just like Iron Byron the machine that all club companies and ball companies use to hit the ball and test balls and product, that Iron Byron made a hole-in-one at the Phoenix Open in 2016. And Iron Byron is a machine on a platform that just swings its arms back and through. So if you're a beginning golfer and you can't hit it clean in the air, try what I'm telling you. Just relax your arms, hang from the waist, relax your wrists, swing it back and brush the grass. Now, what I tell some people to do is pretend you're sweating like a pig and you don't want anyone to see you sweat. And I want you to, I want you to keep your armpits covered, right? So go with me here. Stop laughing. You're going to keep your armpits covered and you're just going to swing the club head back and forth with your wrists. And I tell you what, you're going to brush the grass and you'll get it airborne every single time. I guarantee it. Wow. What a great tip. I love, I love how you explain those things. That's outstanding. Well, I'm a little weird. Anyone? Here's, here's the thing. I, I just have to tell you, you know, when I start, I yeah. didn't want to teach golf. Alan wanted to teach golf. I'm like, I'm mad at golf. I wasn't good at golf. I wanted to be better than I was. I've never been good enough. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to teach you how to teach. I'm like, okay, fine. So now that I know how to teach, I mean, no one when they start out wants to teach women beginners or any beginners, but women beginners especially. And I got to tell you, that's the best thing I do. I get somebody who's never touched the club or had their boyfriend or father or, you know, uncle or somebody say, oh, well, you got to do this. You got to do that. I, you tell them that I said to zip it. And as long as they keep talking, it's going to cost them more money. Just keep your mouth shut. And I tell you what, you're <laughs> going to get it airborne and hit it straight. So I love teaching beginners. Well, Go ahead. Awesome. Sorry. No. And one more before I let you go, Cindy. I know your son, Jamie, just finished tied for third at the New York State Men's Amateur Championship last week. Looks like his game is in real good shape. Catch us up. How's Jamie doing? You know what? He's he's depressed. <laughs> and really? I, and I saw he had to play 36 holes. Well, I'll tell you a story. So I saw he had to play 36 holes the last day. I said, Mommy's canceling her golf lessons. I got a caddy for you. He goes, okay. Cause, so I took a pull cart, and it was going to pour rain. So we had two rain delays. So my kid is like me and boy skin, right? He goes out in the first morning round. He shoots a couple under par, and he's leading by two, I think. Then the wind started to blow, and I mean to tell you, it was 40 or 50 miles an hour. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so hard. I would shoot a 1,000 out here. So we tee off on the second 18, 
second hole at Craigburn, which David Ogren will know because he's played in the Gary Graylick uh, Pro-Am at Craigburn before. And so um, Jamie's got his third shot on the par five, and it's, it's howling in his face. Well, the guy he's playing with almost dumps it in the water. The ball just got up in the air, and it came back in his face. So Jamie looks at me and goes, I think I got to chip a little pitching wedge. And I didn't say anything because he had said to me, just keep your mouth shut unless I ask you. And he didn't ask me, so I kept my mouth shut. He blows this thing over the green, and he's laying in the heather with the ball sitting above the floor, the ground while he goes under the ball. Then he chunks it. Then he chips it short of the green. Then he knocks it on the green, and he three-putts for a 10. So wow. the kid never makes a penalty, no penalty shots, and he makes a 10 on a par 5. Do you know that that kid shot one under par from that 10 all the way in, and he lost? Wow. So, wow. So he's, I, we thought he's very open and transparent. And he said, I made two stupid decisions. I tried to back off and play and protect. And I made a 10 and a double. I will never do that again. And I said, well, it wasn't meant to be. He goes, I'm so ticked off. I said, honey, you can't change. Not meant to be. That's not in your power. And I'm very proud of you. And you played your butt off. And he's the only one that finished in the top 10 with his pairing, his drawing from the first two rounds late early. He's the only one that finished in the top 10. So I said, look, you made a 10. He's the only one that finished in the top 10. Pat yourself on the back. Plus, you're kind of old. <laughs> he's 34 and all these other kids are like 20. So he's okay now, but he goes, this one's going to hurt for a little while. But yes, he's a very yeah. good player. And the guy that we played with the last two rounds, is, it's his partner for the USGA four ball. And hopefully they qualify to play in October. So thanks for asking. He's a good kid. And he, Absolutely. he's a really good player. So you let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you and Alan are doing both online and on social media. I was Cindy Miller Golf is uh Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Cindy Miller Golf, Alan Miller Golf. Alan is a wizard. He's really smart. Uh, I would go to CindyMillerInc.com if you want a speaking engagement. If you want uh, boot camps, go to CindyMillerInc.com, click on boot camps. And if you want to take the free assessment to figure out what your behavior and motivation style is, go to CindyMillerInc.com forward slash nail it. Thanks, Chris. Cindy. Absolutely. Thank you, Cindy, for being generous with your time. You're outstanding. I always have a great time when you're a part of the show. I hope you come back and join me again real soon. I would love to. Thanks, honey. Have a great night. All right. You too, Cindy. That's the great Cindy Miller. Cindy Miller Golf, CindyMillerInc.com. Great sites, great person. You're going to learn a lot. And uh, she's a, just an outstanding individual. So uh, please reach out to her and give her a follow both uh, on uh, online on her site and uh, obviously on social media as well. Can't can't wait to have her back on the show. She's one of my absolute favorite people. All right, before I get to my next guest, and Andy Lano has jumped back in, and I can't thank Andy enough for his time. I want to give a quick shout out to our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan Iron since the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron of either their Fort Worth PTX or new PTX Pro or edge irons and go out on the range and compare them to whatever it is you have. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. So no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can get custom-made irons, wedges, hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com. And they're going to build those clubs to your specifications. And best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons and wedges, plus their utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, and new GS53 driver and fairway woods. 
which are absolutely spectacular. I've read a lot of good reviews, got them in my hands. I love how they feel and how they swing. Check it all out online by going to BenHoganGolf.com. I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. All right, now back with me on the French Lake Resort guest line is Andy Leno. And Andy is, like I said last week, becoming a regular here on the show. He's absolutely spectacular. He was a caddy on tour for 25 years for guys like Kenny Perry. Also got on the bag for Tom Watson, Peter Jacobson, Nick Baldo, guys like that, plus Michelle Wee. When she was uh, there fighting against the PGA Tour pros uh, when she entered a, uh, a men's PGA event. Also our good friends Dave Stockton and Richard Zokel. Played high school golf at Deer High School in Portland, Maine, and his college golf at Western Kentucky University. He was on the bag for about 40-plus majors and the two, uh, 2004 U.S. Ryder Cup. And I'm very excited that I got him to come back on the show with me again this week. Hey, Andy, how are you, my friend? Chris, long time no see. How's it been? Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> how did Boston treat you? Well, I tell you, so a tale of two stories, Andy. The city was fantastic. You know, going out on the West End, a shout out to uh, Mama Maria's uh, there on the West End. Great Italian food. Had a great night there. Uh, Had a great first night at Fenway Park last week against the Angels on uh, Friday night. A nice 16-4 to win. Had absolutely everything a Red Sox fan, and it was my my son's uh, first trip to Boston and certainly first trip to Fenway. Had everything you could want. When you're when you've got a Red Sox Angels matchup, you got to see Mike Trout play, who's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. He had a double in the game. He saw his favorite player Mookie Betts hit a home run. J.D. Martinez was four for five with a couple of home runs. Everything was great. And then the next day happened, and the exact opposite <laughs> thing happened, and they lose twelve to four. So sixteen to four win to a twelve to four loss. So from the highs to the lows, but the city itself, Andy, could not have been better. You know, uh, legal seafood for lobster, which was outstanding. So we had a great time in the city. We had a great time the first night. Not so much the second day, my friend. The Red Sox are absolutely killing me. Yeah, you know, my wife always looks at me all the time. She goes, boy, she goes, I appreciate your passion and love for your sports teams. She goes, but they don't love you back. And we've all heard that. (laughs) But you know what? When you're a sports fan, that's just the way it rolls out. And, And Fenway's a magical place. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we got to sit up on the on the Green Monster that first night. So, like I say, everything about that first game was uh, as good as it could be. How how was? And you want to get a way? Because yeah, oh, how was it? What's I highly recommend it, my friend. If you, if you've never sat up on the monster, I highly recommend. I haven't. It. Um, I'm working on. Yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's outstanding. Yeah, it's outstanding. I mean, the the vantage point is great. I mean, you know, and how how quaint Fenway is anyway. So it's not like you're sitting up in the nosebleeds and it's like a little bunch of ants running around down there. The vantage point is great. Um, the guys are obviously right there. Like, you know, say Mike Trout was, you know, right there at center field from where we were at. And, and then when the Red Sox were in the field, uh, you know, uh, 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 Ben Attendee right below us and JBJ right to our left. And uh, it's a great way to watch a ball game and to see everything develop. It's, it's outstanding. I highly recommend it. If you get a chance, my friend, you got to make that happen. 
I'm trying. I'm trying. Did you get any balls come whistling by you since all those high-scoring games? The balls are going out of there pretty quick. Yeah, no, I mean, we didn't have one come near us, but uh, sort of to the left and to the right. So uh, Mookie hit one right down the uh, left field line. So a few uh, rows over from where we were at, uh, you know, completely out of the stadium. J.D. hit one completely out of the stadium. The other one was a dead center. But uh, we were there for batting practice, so we were hoping that uh, we might get one. And there was a kid that was uh, in, in the in the section just to our right, caught three. We didn't get one. So um, yeah, that's a lesson learned for Dang. next time. Yeah, that's a little lesson exactly. learned for next time. But, uh, yeah, a great uh, a great time. So I had a great time with my son. And do you want to get a, your perspective? As a guy who was on the bag for as long as you were, obviously the big topic this week is slow play. What's it like for you and your guy on uh, that's, that's actually playing in the event when you're when you've got someone in front of you that's taking their own sweet time? How do you deal with that? Well, uh, for me, it's as in my position, it was always about kind of gauging that and being out there as long as I was. You kind of know who the guys that play fast, who play slow, who's you know, you kind of know you know, you're a guy who he's going to get along with, who's a good pairing, who may or may not be a good pairing. But it, but like you said, it's an adjustment thing. So, you know, you've got to try to still go about your business and still be able to deliver what you need to your guy because really that's all that's important. And you try to really not pay much attention to it. Um, and that's the way that I always approached it. I was I'm a pretty fast walker, so I always got out there got my information, did my prepar- preparing before, you know, my guy would get there so I could get a quote, you know, get ahead of the game. That was always my goal for 18 holes because I never wanted to be holding up anybody and I didn't want to hold up my pro. And, you know, you know, one of the things that uh, people are talking about is, and obviously, you know, Bryson has become the poster child for this, and I'm sure he's not the only one. It just happened to be this past weekend where he took an extended amount of time. But, they talk about making sure that you're doing all of your pre-shot, you know, stuff, yardage, you know, checking the wind, doing all that sort of thing that you're going to do in order to be prepared to select the right club and go and go make your swing. Doing that while the other guys are lining up their shots and getting prepared so that you're not starting your routine after everybody else has played. Do you see that as an issue out there? Are you seeing guys or did you see guys while you were out there sort of waiting and watching and then starting and getting their routine going or do, or is that a thing? Is that a thing that you're making sure that your player is doing like, all right, let's go here. You're, you're 145 yards out. The wind is coming off the right, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So they're ready to pull the trigger as soon as it's their turn. Yes. And, and that's an excellent point that you make and definitely one that is different. Um, for me, I was getting ahead of the game and I was using the time that you pointed out to, like when the other players, I was getting all that information, whether it was reading a putt, you know, I'd have the putt read already, or or if it was yardage. I mean, obviously challenges pop up with wind changing and gusting and that kind of thing. The number doesn't change. You know, once you confirm the number at each shot, that generally is always going to be the same. But then it's about the condition. So, I mean, for me, I think the, the really good caddies out there, they already have everything to their pro, and, and I'm not saying that, that Bryson's guy isn't, doesn't get him the information. Bryson has a little bit of a different approach. I know his guy 
does get him all the information. I mean, he's probably one of the only guys out there that can caddy for Bryson because he has a little bit of a different approach. So with that, most of the most of the guys out there that you would know, they're doing all their stuff and they're getting it done and they're ready to roll because when the time comes, as you know, you roughly have 40 seconds depending on your order of play, 40, then it jumps up to 45, and I think the last guy gets 50. So pending on, you know, searching for a ball and all these other things that come into it, I mean, yes. I mean, we, we always wanted to be ready, and my pro wants his information uh, also. You know, he wants to be ready to go So because it's all about rhythm. As you know, you play golf. When do you play your best golf? When you're in a rhythm. So, Andy, what, is, what do you think, in order for the, the tour to kind of get these guys to move along, what, what's the right penalty? What, what's the right thing to do? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of it, – it's a mixed I'm, – I'm mixed about it a little bit, but I'm kind of in the Rory camp. You know, I think they need – somebody needs to step up. And, you know, if you're out of position and you're, you know, you're not where you're supposed to be, they need to start slashing some shots because I can tell you – that if that happens, you're going to put the fear of you-know-what into quite a few guys. And, again, we're not out here to ruin the game. We're not out there to ruin the product. And, you know, the golf golf is, you know, they're playing for a lot of dough. We know that. There's a lot of there's a lot on the line. And that's what makes it tough for these tour officials to pull the trigger on whether they're going to penalize these guys or warn them or whatever. That's the biggest issue that the tour has. I mean, a lot of these guys are beating – their time overall. Then again, the other thing to fall back, or the over other issue, I should say, that's overlooked, is the TV commercials. Well, TV's donating a large portion. That's why these purses are up to two million bucks for the winner. So if you're in position, and you know you're these TV people need time to get their ads in. I mean, I, you know, I mean that's those are just facts, and it's kind of overlooked. And I think it, even a lot of the golfers forget. I mean, these guys are paying, you know, for a lot of what they win. Sure, the fans are, and et cetera, and their sponsors, and but that's a big part of it. So it's kind of a really tough gray area. It's a tough line to draw, but I think something's got to be done about it. And I, you know, I don't want to see someone lose, you know, a lot of what they earn. You know, you play seventy-one or two or seventy-two holes, and all of a sudden they take two of your hard-earned shots away from you because you're out of position. But something's got to be done if they're really interested in speeding it up. It's been an issue for a long time, as you know. Mm-hmm. Andy, a couple more before I let you go. And uh, 30 years ago today, uh, the late great Payne Stewart won the uh, 1989 PGA Championship. You had responded on social media. You were there, Kemper Lakes, north of Chicago. What do you remember about being part of that event? Well, I remember, you know, obviously it was only my second or I mean, it might be a minute, might have been my second or third. It was my third year out there. And so I was always excited to just be in attendance at a major. And I, and I can remember, obviously, I, I, there's a few things that I remember off the top of my head, just thinking back. And one was I remember Payne, obviously Payne wore his knickers and he wore his outfits and he had his NFL thing going. And I, and I can remember him with that Bears uniform on, you know, the Bears colors. He can you see it in all the pictures. I can remember that very vividly. And I also remember that, you know, Mike Reed, he had the tournament in hand. And honestly, you know, it was really his with three or four holes to go. If I remember right, it was his to win. Not that Payne didn't win it, 
because he, he obviously did. But I mean, Mike Reed was right there with him, right down to the end. Um, you know, the other thing I remember is I created a, you know, this is kind of off the key of that, but I mean, I created a relationship earlier in the year with my golfer at that time was Jim Carter. And we got paired with Lee Trevino, uh, like three days in a row at, at Hilton Head. And what a thrill that was to watch Lee Trevino take Hilton Head apart with his creative shot making, hook it, slice it. I mean, just totally playing by feel. None of this track man and all this other stuff that's going all this technical stuff <laughs> that, not, yeah. that is not, as you know not Lee Trevino and he and what's he won six majors so I think he knew what he was doing so to speak but spending the time with him and, and of course he likes to talk and he loves to eat so we start talking about restaurants this that whatever and he always asks the caddies you know where, do you, where are you guys eating this week and he kind of knows himself but he's always looking for different places well Earlier in the week, I'd eaten at a really good Italian place there in Chicago. Imagine that, right? Good Italian. So I, he, he happened to see me later in the week. He says, hey, where have you been eating? And I told him about this Italian place. He, he ended up going to the Italian place, saw me the next day on the range, and said how good it was. And I think he went out and shot three or four under or something. It was, it was just kind of funny how that stuff happens. You know, when you, when you have the good dinner, you go out the next day and you play good. But yeah, that Kemper Lakes, it was the first, it was, I know it's in northern Chicago, and it was a heck of a golf course, and it was challenging. The wind was blowing, and it had a bunch of water on it, um, challenging, you know, forced carries. And like I said, it, it was a thrill to be there, and, and I knew Payne's caddy, and I knew actually Mike Reed's caddy, too, so I was, I was kind of torn, to be honest with you, but I mean, it was, I think that was his first one, I believe. 89 was, might have been Payne's first major because obviously won the two opens. Um, and I'm pretty sure they came after. And that 91 open was Hazeltine. And then he won later on. He won another open. I believe he won out at, at Alma Olympic Club, I think. Or I might, I might have mixed up, but I'm pretty sure that was Payne's first major. So it was a thrill to be there, to be part of that. And my guy made the cut. He didn't beat Payne, but it was fun. You know, it was early in my career, and I didn't even know what it all meant, to be honest with you. I had no idea what, you know, I knew it was a major, but now looking back, it's like, wow, you know, I mean, that was history. Andy, before I let you go, remind our listeners again about your business, Golf Mastery, and what they can find on your site, golfmastery.net. Right, yeah, golfmastery.net. It's a business that I that I just uh, launched here earlier, earlier and uh, later actually in 2018. And what I'm doing is taking all my experiences and and everything that I've been able to, you know, be blessed to walk next to these guys and see how they practice and see how they get to be as great as they are, and then and also mix in my craft, you know, my craft of you know, taking a golf course apart and, you know, watching, you know, and incorporating the mental approach and the psychology of the game and, and, and even as far as even sportsmanship and, you know, cause golf is a, you know, as you know, it's a gentleman's game. And in the end, you know, it's, it's an individual game, but, you know, it's a sportsmanship game. It's an honesty game. You're your own referee out there. I mean, there's a lot of things, as you know, that incorporates into this great game of golf that parallel life. So I'm basically trying to share those experiences, try to inspire people to, you know, invest in the game of golf. And, and even if, you know, even if they can't quite get, you know, to be a scratch or a five or a 10, you can still play the game, enjoy it. And I think, I think personally, it's a great thing to, to be taking a look at, whether it's for you or your kids or your family. It just brings people together from, 
you know, all corners of the earth as we've discovered along the way. Andy, I can't thank you, you know, enough for jumping in um, tonight. And uh, it's always great getting to talk off with you. Always great talking a little Red Sox baseball with you as well. And um, I, you know, I can't thank you. Like I said, I can't thank you enough for on the spur of the moment jumping in when I needed you. You're the best, my friend. Look forward to catching up and nope. doing this again real soon. No problem, Chris. Not, you know, always enjoy it. Love, love next on the tee. And I'm always, I was actually trying to key in and try to get, I was trying to log in or whatever. And all of a sudden I got your text because I know it's Tuesday night at 8 p.m. and I'm free behind you. But anyway, I was trying to catch up, but not, no problem. Enjoy it. Appreciate the opportunity and, uh, look forward to, uh, being on again. Thanks very much. Uh, hi, look, thank you, Andy. We'll catch up soon. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. You too. That's Andy Lano, L-A-N-O. You can follow him on Twitter at A-Lano I-I for the second, obviously. So at A-Lano I-I and at A-G Lano uh, on uh, Instagram as well. I've got my next guest, uh, next guest, Greg Ducharme, hanging online. I'm going to get to Greg on the other side of this real quick message about our good friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Class A teaching professional Greg Ducharme. Let me remind you a little bit about Greg's background. He is from Rexford, New York, which isn't far from Schenectady and Albany. Graduated from Coastal Carolina University with a degree in professional golf management. He is a Class A teaching professional, and he teaches at the Michael Breed Golf Academy up at Trump Golf Links at Perry, uh, uh, Perry Point, which is just outside of New York City. You can hear him weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern Time, co-hosting a new breed of golf with Michael Breed on Sirius XM and Sirius Channel 208 and XM 92. I listen to him every morning on my way to work. Greg does such a tremendous job, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Greg, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having me. So, Greg, as you know, I listen to you and Michael every morning on my commute to work, and, and you know, this week everyone is talking about slow play. I know you and Michael are talking about slow play on your show. Bryson DeChambeau is a guy out there taking the brunt of it this week. But uh, your thoughts, what do you think about slow play? How do you, how, if you were commissioner, how do you fix it? Man, slow play is a, it's one of these issues that has just, there, there are so many tentacles to this thing. And, and to me, it's a very complicated issue. And I think that's why it hasn't been solved yet. I mean, this is something we've been talking about for, 50 years plus. At least that's what everybody tells me. I mean, I, I certainly don't remember uh, it, it going back that long, but it, but it's been going on for quite some time. And it's a complicated thing. And the part of the problem is, as the tournament goes on, as the tee times get later and later in the day, times get slower and slower. And that's just the way it is. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, and, and that's for a variety of reasons. So it's very complicated to police. Part of that is when we watch on TV, we're watching the later groups, and it's just going to be a little bit slower. It's harder to play, but it's impossible to play faster than the group in front of you. So I think it's a difficult thing. I, I don't say that it's an easy thing, but I think the solution that solves all the problems, solves all the problems to me, is, is a shot clock. I think it would add... Uh, first of all, I mean, players would play faster. They know there's a, there's a, a timer. The way I see it, 
the the um, person who's holding the score, the you know the um, uh, the score sheet for each group has a shot clock on top of it. And I think it would actually add some some drama for the viewer as well. You know, you kind of see the clock running down. Is he going to make a decision? You know, what's going to happen? I think it would uh, draw some more eyes to the game while also making everybody play a little bit faster. And, and one last point on this, you, you know, you think about how to solve slow play. I've been a marshal before uh, at, at a golf course in Florida, and it's one of the hardest jobs that you can possibly have. Part of the reason is backups happen at various times during a hole, during a round for various reasons. And that, you know, it, like for instance, the putting green is typically going to take a little bit longer than the approach shot. And the tee shot is going to be the fastest by far. I, I mean, even Bryson DeChambeau, everybody that you watch will play very quickly um, when it comes to a tee shot because they have that information already. As you get closer to the hole, it gets uh, it demands more precision, and that takes a little bit more time. So to me, a, a hard shot clock would would solve all those issues. So when when the clock reaches double zeros, what do you think is it is is the, an appropriate penalty to add strokes one or two, or is the appropriate penalty to hit guys in the wallet? So at the end of the tournament, based on you know something, whether it's a percentage or a or a hard dollar amount, that's where you get him. Do you hit him in the wallet? Do you hit him on the scorecard, which eventually hits him in the wallet? Well, I think you have to hit him on the scorecard uh, for a variety of reasons. One, they hit him in the wallet already. If you um, get a bad time enough, I think it's if you get put on the clock more than 10 times during a year, um, you, you, be, you get fined additionally after that. We just don't hear about those kind of things. And so I think you gotta, you gotta do it by a stroke, which eventually hits them in the wallet. Um, but, you know, to that end, I think you have to give them, um, a timeout, uh, at least, you know, a certain number of timeouts. Maybe it's a timeout per side. Maybe it's four timeouts during a round. You know, things happen in a round of golf. It's not as simple as, hey, get up there and hit it. It's not like these guys are just standing around, uh, while they could be getting ready to hit a shot. You know, there there are things that happen. Wind change, uh, conditions change, fans can distract you. Uh, you know, a bug can fly in your eye. I'm sure that's happened to you out on the golf course. There there are things that happen during um, the the amount of time where you're preparing to hit a shot. So I think you have to take that into account and give them a timeout um, or a certain number of timeouts, whatever that is. But I think you got to hit them with a with a, a one stroke penalty when they you know, get a bad time. Hey, yeah, that timeout option is 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 intriguing, right? Because as you were saying that, Greg, I'm I'm thinking back to Jordan Spieth at the Open Championship a couple of years ago, right? You know, we all know what happened on the back yep. nine and the and the ball that went on the driving range. If you're putting him on the clock and you get you're giving him 30 seconds, 60 seconds, whatever it is, and he's trying to figure out what to do, that that might not that may never happen. He may not go on to win that golf tournament, and the whole thing could change. So, yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. Well, I like know, I like that the idea of the timeout. Sure that you're, um, you, you have. I don't think in that case Jordan would have to use a timeout. It, when there's a ruling going on, that's kind of an exception. The clock doesn't start when you're in need of a ruling, uh, in my opinion. I, I think this is about the player's pre-shot routine. The ball is in play. The ball is live. The ball's ready to be hit. That's when the clock starts. Not just when you get up to your ball and you realize that it's in a hole and you can't play it and now you got to take a drop and you got to, you know, assess some options. I don't think at that time the clock would start. Um, 
But I, I think that the timeout is more for a scenario where, um, you know, you're getting ready to hit, you're standing over the ball, you've got 10 seconds to hit it, and all of a sudden a, a fan in the stands, their their cell phone rings, or they take a picture, or you get distracted, maybe an airplane goes by and you got to back off. That's when you use a timeout, not when there's a, a ruling, in my opinion. Greg, another hot topic is the, the PGA Tour playoffs and the playoff system. I want to get your thoughts. Does, does the game need the playoffs, and does anybody really care by anybody? I mean, the casual fan. Does the casual fan care about the playoffs if, the, if Tiger Woods isn't the guy on top of the leaderboard? Man, I'm so glad you asked this, Chris. I have so – and I'm also glad you asked it early on in our, in our brief time together because I have so many thoughts on the playoffs and how it should all work. So um, I, I think you have to kind of break this down into what does a fan want to watch? Because some of this I think the PGA Tour has done a fantastic job of. Some of it I, I don't think they've done a fantastic job of. So um, a, a couple things. A fan, in my opinion, wants to watch, one, they want to watch the best players in the world play. And I'll give all the credit in the world to the PGA Tour. They have figured out a way to get their very best players playing this time of year. Um, and they've done that with the, with a purse and the FedEx Cup purse and the, the bonus structures are, are incredible. I mean, the FedEx, between the FedEx Cup and the Wyndham Rewards, they have $70 million in bonus, uh, prize money that they're giving out to, to their players. And that is, that's the job of the PGA Tour. They are supposed to find ways to make their players more dollars. Um, and, and they did that. And so as a result, the best players in the world want to watch. To me, that's something that, uh, that the casual fan wants to see. They want to see Brooks Koepka. They want to see Tiger Woods, of course, Rory McIlroy. They they want to see these guys playing, and they, they all play together this time of year. So that, yeah, great job. Um, a couple of other things you want to see. You want to see an, an event of importance. And an event of importance is, hey, it's the U.S. Open. Okay, this is a meaningful event. Um, the, the Obviously, all four majors. World Golf Championships, the Players Championship, the the events that have sort of um, a historical meaning to me are very important. When you look at the playoffs and the FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tour Championship, at this point, we don't really count how many FedEx Cup suppliers won or, uh, you know, it doesn't really add to your credibility and getting into the Hall of Fame. It doesn't really quite do that. It doesn't quite have the allure at this point. But that being said, you got to start somewhere, right? The U.S. Open didn't have the allure that it has now when it first started. It, it takes a little bit of time for tournaments and events to, to develop some momentum. So um, I, I do think the playoffs could become something really special for the PGA Tour, but um, not the way that they're currently going about it. So we've covered two things. One, getting the players to play. Two, the event. Uh, the golf course is an important thing. I think people are more likely to watch an event at um, at Pebble Beach, I, I think the place that sticks out to me is Augusta National. And you think about, obviously, the Masters is the, the most watched tournament uh, on the in, in professional golf. But the Augusta National Women's Amateur had had pretty good success this year as well. And I think people will watch a golf course like Augusta National, even though there is no other golf course like Augusta National. They will watch that uh just to see the course. So, and I do think that the FedEx Cup playoffs goes to some pretty good courses. Um, but the last point, the last kind of reason people watch is to see a compelling event. 
And a lot of things go into a compelling tournament. I, you know, one, I think of um, the Honda Classic this year, where it was a, a fairly weak field, especially compared to years prior. But at the end of the tournament, you had the two big-name players that p- happened to play really well, which was fortunate, Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepka. And they're in the clubhouse at eight under par. And Keith Mitchell, who nobody nobody knows who Keith Mitchell is, he, he has not really won very many tournaments. He didn't win any tournaments in college. He may have won one mini tour event. He didn't win on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour. He, he is not really known to be a winner. It's not a guy that a lot of people know. When he makes birdie on the 18th hole, we kind of fall in love. We, we love that compelling event. And when you look at the tour championship and the way that it's set up now, the way that we're, they're going to play it this year, I think that this is what the PGA Tour has sort of lost sight of. They've lost sight of the importance of a compelling event. Now, it's, we, we all know that it, it's sort of a, uh, a handicap event. Every player doesn't start at even par. The player that's first in the FedEx Cup points will start at 10 under par. Second will be eight. And then it goes down from there. And, and uh, the last five players in the field, 26 to 30, will, will be at even par. And they're going to be 10 shots behind. And I think back to last year when Tiger Woods won the tour championship and they opened up the ropes and the crowds were following Tiger up to the 18th green. And it was a moment that, that literally made people cry because they got to see Tiger Woods win again. And if that format, if, if last year's format was like it will be this year, he wouldn't have won. Even though he played the best throughout the entire week, he still wouldn't have won. So I, I think they've kind of, we're losing the importance of a compelling event um, and I think it's a shame. I, I really do. I, I mean, I know we haven't seen the tournament yet, so I guess I'll give him a little break here. But to me, it just doesn't make sense. You're going to give the best player in the world, the best player for the year, the the biggest advantage. It, it doesn't quite add up. There are some other things that don't quite add up to me, but uh, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts, Chris? Well, uh, you know, for me, Greg, um, yeah, I agree with you. It's great to see the the top you know the field go from 120 down to 70 and you know on through until we get to the top 30 it's a tour championship i think that's that's good um i i'm just not a huge fan of the you know how they're sort of playing with the formula for the tour championship i think there's got to be a better more compelling way to get to who's number one I, I you know but i don't have the answer i think that's something that uh, i'm looking forward to trying to figure out um, yep. yeah, I, my, my, I, I like the fact that they reduced it by a tournament. I didn't like the four tournaments, you know, at the end and it seemed sort of drug out to me. So, um, like we've heard, heard some of the players talk about, it's a little bit more of a sprint now. And I like that, um, that they've gone that route. Um, but yeah, I, you know, my, my concern is that, you know, we, we talk about the players championship, everyone forever has wanted to talk about how that's sort of the fifth beetle. And now we've got, you know, where's, where does the tour championship sort of fit in there? And you're right. You know, tournaments take a while to evolve and, and grow into being something of even greater significance over time. Uh, I'm just not sure where the tour championship fits in. If the, if the players is the fifth, is the tour championship the sixth? And if it's the sixth, no. you know, that, that sort of really diminishes it. Yeah, I, I really, I don't even know if it, especially the way that it is this year, I don't even know if it ranks. Everyone who wins this tournament from this point forward, as long as they go on with this format, to me, that victory has a, a major 
asterisk next to it. Unless there's somebody that came back from even par, which I don't think you're going to see happen. Um, you know, so I, I have, I do have a, a solution that um, I'm happy to offer if you'd like to hear. What, what do you think? You want to hear yeah, my, my solution? All right. So I do. I've put a lot of thought into this. I'm really happy that we uh, are getting to talk about this. So a couple things that I think they should do. They have taken the uh, Wyndham Championship and they tried to make the Wyndham Champion. They tried to elevate the Wyndham Championship um, by adding the Wyndham Rewards at the end of the year. I thought it was going to do that. They they put up ten million dollars to uh, reward the players for the regular season, which is important. The regular season is important here. Um, and what ended up happening is nine of the players that were in the top ten going into the Wyndham Championship did not play. Uh, Paul Casey was the only one who did play, and. Webb Simpson was just outside and was able to play his way in. So there wasn't a lot of change and the Wyndham rewards didn't really, the Wyndham didn't really get what they wanted out of it. So, um, so that's one thing. And, and when you look at the formula for the tour championship now, what they're trying to do is they want to reward. In my opinion, they have two things in mind. They want to one reward players for the regular season, actually three things. Two, they want to have playoffs. Um, and three, they want to make sure the winner of the Tour Championship is the winner of the FedEx Cup. And that's where the problem lies for me. As I said, it, they're losing the idea of having a compelling tournament, but they don't have to. So if they take, if they could figure out a way, Wyndham and FedEx, to take this $70 million of bonus money that they have, that they give to the players at the end of the year, if they could read, um, you know, rearrange that. And they basically would split it. In my in my opinion, they would split it, and they would take 35 million to the regular season and 35 million to the playoffs. And maybe it's not an even split. Maybe it's a 60-40 split, one way or another. I don't know. Whatever they want to do, I, I quite frankly don't really think that the people care much about that. But I would make the Wyndham Championship the um, sort of the regular season finale, and I think it would really elevate the Wyndham Championship, which is a great event. Everybody loves to watch it. Um, but it would really elevate that event. It would get players to play. If you could figure out a way to get the regular season champion, and this, this year it would be Brooks Kepka, he, he was going to win $10 million as a reward for what he did over the regular season. And then what you have, which I, there are so many things to get into here because the schedule is a, a factor in this. The upcoming schedule for this year would allow for this. You would basically have the Open Championship, the 3M Open, the Wyndham, and then you could take a week you could, you could take a week off and then you could go into playoffs so that's important because that's going to allow everybody to everybody who wants to play to play they can go they can play in the wgc in between the u.s open and the open they can play in the open they can take the 3m off if they want and then they can play the Wyndham. then they get another week off and then they have three playoff events so from that point now you've taken the Wyndham championship and it's a regular season finale with big rewards a $10 million bonus to the, to the winner. Um, and, and that's weighted like a regular PGA tour event. So if, you know, Brooks Kepka doesn't have to play, well, he might want to play if Rory McIlroy is right behind him and he's going to play. So you're going to, other players will incentivize other players to play. So I think that's important. And then when you get into the playoffs, now you can have a real playoff structure. And you can lose the idea that you have to reward the regular season. The only purpose of the regular season in other sports is to seed players for the playoffs. Now, you're not going to get a home game. You're not going to get 
any any event like that. The, the way I would do it is I would take the Northern Trust and I would have it tear down to 70 players, but it would be the top 70 players in the Northern Trust. And maybe you have something where the top 10 players uh, get a buy into the BMW Championship. So if you're Brooks Kepka and you missed the cut at the Northern Trust, you get a buy into the next week. Maybe, maybe it's something like that, um, although I don't really think it's necessary. So you play the Northern Trust, the top 125. The 70 players that make the cut advance to the BMW Championship, and they would play at Medina or, or wherever they have it out in Chicago. And then from there, the top 30 in that field go play the Tour Championship. And now you have a winner-take-all Tour Championship with uh, X amount of dollars, uh, a, a $10 million bonus to the winner of the playoffs. And and now you can play the tour championship as a as a stroke play event. It's it's a regular event with thirty guys on your tour that are playing better golf than anybody else. And I think it would be really exciting. And I think the tour championship would really uh, would would really benefit from it. And even if it didn't, you would have the Wyndham reward. You would have the Wyndham championship that would benefit hugely. So you'd kind of have you know you'd have these four events in a row that would be of great significance. And I think you would get the best players in the world to play. What, what do you think of that idea? No, I like it. And I, I tell you what I like about it. You know, all the way through to the end, where you talk about how the Tour Championship is just a stroke play event, right? Because, I mean, that's what every other major is. It's not like you, you know, there's any sort of, um, you know, point system or whatever, so that somebody gets a greater advantage than somebody else. And based on this and that and where everybody finishes, you, you decide who the master champion is. No. You get in there and you play to win it. And I like that idea, you know, and I like the, you know, you, you mentioned winner take all. I really like that idea, right? You get into the tour championship and the top 30 yeah. players are playing a stroke play event where it's winner take all. I love that. I think that's a great it, idea. Yeah. It's kind of fundamental to playoffs. Playoffs in all sports are winner take all. And our, our sport is the only one where it's not. Yeah, exactly right. So I think that's a great idea, and I think you should talk to him about that on the show tomorrow with Michael and get that put out there. I think that's a great suggestion, and obviously this will become a podcast, and and I'll be plugging that idea because I think you're on to something, Greg. All right, I like. Let me ask you. Let me ask you a little something. You know, a little twist here. You know, as we talk about, does the casual fan care if Tiger Woods isn't in the mix? Now, the opposite side of that, I think, is something that is sort of brewing right now because with Patrick Reed's win, he zooms up to number two. Right? Patrick Reed has been a pretty unpopular Masters champion. He would be a pretty unpopular Tour Championship winner. Does the Tour need for a Brooks Kepka or a Rory McIlroy who's in third or even a popular guy like Cooch who's fourth right now, does, does the Tour Championship need one of those guys to win, to, to kind of feel good about its champion, because like I say, a, a Patrick Reed tour championship winner, I think would be sort of like a dud. Well, you know, it, it, that's a, a very fair point. I understand what you're saying. Um, although I, I will say, I don't necessarily think that unpopular players winning is a bad thing for the tour. Um, because after the event is over, there's a lot of you know, kind of discussion. Like in our business, if the Americans win the Ryder Cup, there's a lot less to talk about than if the Americans lose the Ryder Cup. And uh, <laughs> not that I would ever root for them to lose, but when unpopular things happen, it creates controversy, which creates discussion. 
So I, I don't necessarily think that uh, Patrick Reed winning the Tour Championship is uh, a bad thing for the game. I I, I really don't. I think people would kind of – it could draw some eyes. There's kind of a, a villain, and I don't think a villain in the game right. is a bad thing at all. There may be a little rivalry. I, I don't know. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, but you bring up right. an interesting point with Patrick Reed. And the fact that he has jumped all the way up to number two, I mentioned earlier how they – want to reward the regular season uh, in the in the FedEx Cup. And Patrick Reed has had uh, four top tens on the year, one win. It hasn't been a great year for him um, until late. And basically his one win in the in the Northern Trust vaulted him ahead of Rory McIlroy, who has finished in the top ten nearly 75% of the time that he's seated up. And he has two wins, one of which is the Players' Championship. So that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But, um, uh, again, with the, as for who wins, what does the tour need for, out of the winner? I, I think they're in a really difficult spot. I don't, I think we're going to leave kind of, uh, in question. We, I don't think we're really going to know who the winner really is. It, it's going to be like, we're, we're going to be trying to figure things out. Well, Brooks Kepka is 17 under, but he started at 10 and Billy Horschel started at one under. So. He's now at 11. I, I think there's going to be a lot of kind of confusing things going on. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a dud no matter what, personally. I hope it's not. But, you know, at, at the same time, I kind of hope it is because I hope they change it. Because I just, I just don't think it's a very good idea. Um, and, and I think they're going to see that. I, I don't think it's going to be a compelling event. Um, and, and, yeah. But I will say this. They are really going to know how much people care about the FedEx cup after this year, because they moved, they don't have football as an excuse anymore. They're no longer competing with football right. um, with this schedule change. So we're really going to get a great idea. We're going to find that out this year. I, I'm interested to see what happens. Um, but I, I, I'm not very excited about the event, quite frankly. Greg, I want to get your thoughts on Tiger Woods, obviously, you know, withdrawing this past week, we're sort of in limbo. Do you think we we will see or that we should see Tiger Woods playing this week at the BMW Championship? Or do you think, you know what, he might need to think about packing it in this year in order to get himself healthy and ready for the new golf season once we turn the calendar to 2020? Well, he's obviously an incredibly important figure in our game. Um, and it's something that I don't really enjoy watching. It, it, de- it definitely feels like uh, you know, the wind gets taken out of your sails when Tiger's in an event and then doesn't play. Um, do I think that he will play? I, I don't know. I can't give you a, a solid answer on that. Do I think that he should? That depends on the first question. If, if he's ready to play, then I do think he should. Um, but I, I think that he's got to get himself healthy. And I, I have a lot of questions about Tiger. I, I feel like after the Masters, he kind of uh, – packed it in he did show a little bit at the u.s open he he was four over after six on sunday and you know if if anybody's going to mail it in that's the time to mail it in you're 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 not going to win and you're a player that only really cares about winning um because of your record a a tied 21st or a tied 55th that makes it means no difference to tiger woods but what tiger did on that sunday is he made six birdies coming down the stretch in the last 12 holes um, and, and shot two under par. So that kind of showed me something that Tiger's not out there mailing it in. He really doesn't care. It's just a matter of his health. And, uh, I have a lot of questions about it. 
Uh, what I hope for Tiger is that he can do whatever he can to be as healthy as he can for um, for the majors. And I think Tiger's got to take a real hard look at his schedule and and design his playing schedule uh, a, a little bit more meticulously so that he can be more prepared for the majors. Yeah, just sort of one more on that topic, Greg. And I'm I'm just cu- sort of curious if if Tiger is is going to be able to get healthy because. Um, and I'm sure you saw the video. It seemed like right after the Masters, there was a video, and I believe it was Taylor made. I could be wrong about that, but there was a sort of a celebratory event where he walked in and they were videotaping and that sort of thing. And he, he sort of walked, you know, awkwardly. It seemed like a guy who was, you know, very sore, sort of beaten up a little bit. And to your point, it seems like, you know, he, he's essentially been gone since then. I mean, you're right. He had a minute at a couple of tournaments where, you know, he finished, you know, a tie ninth and tie 21st and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think, and uh, my, my guest last week, Perry French had, had said, uh, I think Tiger has played, I think now it's 14 competitive rounds since the masters. It just seems like, you know, we, we all want it so badly. And, you know, we got, we guys, we sort of got the Christmas present right in April tiger wins again and he wins a major and how exciting that was and how great to your point, how big that is for our game. But boy, he just seems like a guy that um, is might be teetering right now. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about how much, how much more we're going to get, uh, how much life is left on the treads for Tiger. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very fair concern, a very reasonable concern. Uh, I think to think anything else would be um, kind of unreasonable. Now I will say this: I'll never doubt the man. I can't doubt, I can't doubt the guy because if you doubt that guy, you will be proven wrong. And, but, but I do think for, for the PGA Tour, um, for us as fans, I, I think we have to start preparing for, um, for the tour without Tiger, especially the PGA Tour. What are they going to do without Tiger? Because if he yep. were to win the Masters again, like there's no harm in being wrong and having Tiger come back and win again next year. It, that would be a fantastic surprise, but. We're at a point now where we can't rely on that. It's something that, um, that, that the PGA Tour has to, and I'm sure that they are, they have to take a real hard look at. It. And hey, who are the stars of the game aside from Tiger? And how can we promote them to, to really, you know, take the tour by, by the horns and, and grow this thing and make, make sure that people are still interested and people are still watching without Tiger because his health, the way that it seems is so unpredictable. It's something that, you know, he as he said, he can't practice the way that he used to. He he just can't put that grind in. And and to get to a point like he did in April, um, winning at Augusta, he clearly took a lot out of him. And I, I mean, I hold nothing against Tiger. He has uh, certainly deserved the right to take the entire rest of the year off after what he did for all of us in April. So um, that's incredibly impressive. I just think we have to be prepared for uh, for the end of the Tiger Woods era. And whatever that means. And if he, if he comes back and wins again, then, then that's a huge bonus and we can all root for it. But, uh, but I don't think we can be reliant on that. And I agree with you. And that's, and that's a great point, Greg, because that's one of the frustrations that, uh, I and, you know, many of my buddies have is that, that the PGA tour is so focused on Tiger, sort of hyper focused that even when he's out of it, the, the headlines on ESPN.com and a lot of, you know, a lot of other sites is Tiger Birdie's whole, you know, first hole in round three. I mean, you know, he's tied for 54. Right. 
But that's the headline. Tiger Birdie's first hole. Like, we're going to get excited. And it's like they don't know what else to do. It's all the eggs are in the Tiger basket. And they don't know what else to do because they're not doing it. And this is just my opinion. They're not doing a great job of promoting the other players. If it's not Rory McIlroy and it's not Jordan Spieth, it's like they don't know who else to talk about. And it's like everything is all about Tiger because that's all they've known for 20 years is Tiger Woods. We're not ready yet for who the next guy is because they're not doing a great job of promoting the next guy. Well, well, I, I do think that, um, that that's a little bit, it's a little complicated and I give them uh, whoever they are, I guess, I guess the media, the tabloids, I, I guess, whoever that is, I give them a little bit of a break because Tiger, it, it, the, the fact of the matter is he still sells. And if Tiger Woods is shopping for groceries, we're all going to want to watch. Like people will want to watch that. They people <laughs> love that guy. And 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 so if you're in the media, it's your job to kind of you want to provide news for people, but you also you want to entertain. And if you're going to entertain, you get people interested. Tiger's going to get people interested, whether he missed the cut or won the tournament or anywhere in between. That's just the way that it is. So I give them it's a complicated situation because if you're let's say uh, you're you're a magazine and you want to put something on the cover, well Tiger Woods is going to sell somebody on the cover and um, and someone like Colin Morikawa who we have all loved watching, he's probably not going to sell as many as as many copies as Tiger Woods. So what do you do? How do you get how you get that started? It's easy to say, hey. We need to look at Matthew Wolf and Victor Hovland and Colin Morikawa. We need to take these guys and really promote them and, and make, you know, make the fans fall in love with them. So we have these three new stars in the game, or maybe it's John Rahm or Justin, whoever. Um, but, right. but at the same time, right now, that's not going to work. And you got to answer to your boss and you got to sell a certain number of tabloids or, or get a certain number of clicks on your website. And so you're in a little bit of a, a difficult position, in my opinion. And, and it's a lot easier said than done is, is I guess, my only point. Greg, uh, just a couple more before I let you go. I want to switch gears and got to get a playing lesson for my listeners out here. And um, one of the things I think many of us struggle with, particularly us that, uh, you know, only getting to play on weekends is sort of that in-between shot, the 40 to 50 yards out, you know, that sort of soft, you know, requires some, some good touch. It's not typically a full swing with a lob wedge or a sand wedge. It's like, I guess it's sort of that in-betweener. How do we develop that sort of touch and how do we hit that shot closer? So we're taking two strokes to get in the hole instead of three or four. Okay. Uh, so couple of, uh, there are a couple of things that go into play here. One, it's an in-between shot. It requires some feel, as you said. And developing that feel is going to take a little bit of practice. And I know that's an unpopular thing to say because, hey, we don't want to practice. We want to just go out and have a magic wand and make it work. But guess if I had a magic wand, I would have broken it on myself, right? I mean, I'd be the best 50-yard red player in the world. But it takes a little bit of practice. It takes a little bit of work. You have to learn the difference between a 40-yard shot, a 50-yard shot, a 60-yard shot. you you got to understand what the difference is in your mind, develop that feel. So when you're on the course and you're faced with that one shot, you can execute it. That being said, what are some keys for the technique? When you do go practice, what are you going to practice? Well, you, you have to make sure that this motion is as simple as possible. So, so my sort of in the fundamentals, we have to, one, make sure we can make ball first contact. 
Two, we got to make sure we can hit the ball with a uh, predictable trajectory and a predictable amount of spin. So when we when we're trying to get predictable, we want to eliminate variables. And one of the most well, how do I say this? The the easiest variable to get rid of, and the variable that most players have the most of in in this sort of shot is the amount of wrist activity that they have. And most players who struggle with this shot, um, it, they are what I call active hands and passive body. And I like to see really good wedge players are, are going to be active body and passive hands. And what does that mean? Well, that means your body has to move in this shot. It's a short shot. It's a shot that makes you nervous. When you get in that situation, you don't want to move because you're fearful, but you have to move. You have to make sure that your chest has a little bit of turn in the backswing and especially in the through swing. When you finish this shot, you, you want to make sure that your chest is facing the target all the way to the target every time, whether it's a 40-yard shot, whether it's – I mean, even for a 10-yard shot, you can still face the target with your chest. It, it's a great way to get through the ball. And what it does is it eliminates your um, – it, it, it takes away some of the – um, the importance of your hands. Your hands don't have to move. Your arms and hands don't have to move across your body in order to hit the ball. Your body moves your arms into the ball, and now it becomes predictable. Um, so uh, the other thing I would say is I, I like to see limited wrist hinge. Uh, if if you can get away with no wrist hinge at all, like a Steve Stricker or a Jason Day, you're going to be really, really successful. Um, very, very limited, very quiet in the hands, and very active in the body and that's going to be a way to get you consistent contact on the ball uh, a, a fairly consistent trajectory um, and definitely a much better feel certainly a much more solid strike on the ball Craig before I let you go remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing listen to you on the show plus also follow you on social media yeah definitely listen to the show uh, it's on Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio that's Sirius 208 XM 92 that's on from 8 to 10, Monday through Friday. And if you miss that, if you have the SiriusXM app, you can listen to those shows on demand. That show is called A New Breed of Golf. Uh, Michael Breed is, is the host of myself. I'm, I'm sitting alongside there for the ride. So that's always an entertaining listen. Um, and then you can also get me on Twitter. I'm at the Real GFD. Um, that, that's a great way to get in touch with me. And if you're interested in getting a golf lesson, go over to MichaelBreed.com in the Academy section. And you can schedule a lesson with me right there. Greg, as I've said to you before, and, and my opinion is a, a new breed of golf is, is the best when, when you and Michael are bantering back and forth and sharing your, both of your thoughts all at the same time. I think that's the, the best quality golf show that uh, people are going to find. And, and I hope sometime soon we get a little bit more of that and a little bit more of you. And uh, the PGA Tour channel, uh, hopefully at some point here before long, learns what a great talent you are and gets you your own show because you're great at it, my friend. And uh, I hope we get more and more of you as time goes on. No, oh, Chris, that, I mean, coming from you, that means so much to me. Uh, I, you have no idea. I've been working really hard at it, and uh, it's something I enjoy doing. And it, it's nice to hear that every once in a while. But, uh, you know, before I go, I just want to thank you for all the support you've given me. Uh, and and so, and many of the other guests that you have, it's always it's always great to see on on Twitter and social media, and and I, I love being on your show. Anytime you want to have me, I am I'm happy to come on and talk about these uh, these exciting issues. So you just let me know anytime. All right. I appreciate you. Thanks very much, Greg. Take care. All the best to you and your family. I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. 
Thanks again, Chris. Take care. See you, Greg. That's Greg Ducharme. At The Real GFD is where you can follow him on Twitter, and he's a, he's a wonderful follow. And uh, like I say, folks, um, Michael Breed is, is certainly one of the best in our game, one of the best instructors there is. Um, but when you uh, get an opportunity to hear Greg, and I think their, their interaction with one another is when the show is at its best because we get a little bit more of Greg and Greg's insights and his, his playing lessons and uh, his contributions. So listen to the show 8 to 10 uh, every morning on PGA Tour Radio on Sirius XM. Take a listen to Greg. Every once in a while we get the uh, privilege of hearing Greg when Michael's off doing some other things. So sometimes you get to tune in and get a lot more of Greg. He's a, he's a wonderful talent. He's a great guy. He's uh, one of the best instructors as well. When you look at instructors, every year we hear about, you know, the top 40 under 40, and that's where you're going to find Greg listed all the time. He is uh, he is certainly a great instructor as well. So that quick playing lesson was fantastic. And the next time I get him on the show, we'll try to get a little bit more of that as well. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out to Cindy Miller, Andy Lano, and Greg Ducharme as well for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up with uh, what our guest schedule looks like and who we've got coming up. Please also check us out on a, on a great site, launchpaddm.com. Can't thank those, those folks enough. Been featuring us front and center right there on their homepage. Click the subscribe button, if you will, for, uh, for our show, Next on the T. We'd really appreciate that very much. You can also find us streaming available on great apps. You know, Podbean have been great friends of ours over the years. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, pretty much any place you can go and listen to your favorite podcast, you're going to find us. We're out there on iTunes. We're on, uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. Any place you go, you're going to be able to find us. We hope you'll uh, make us a part of your golfing content there and uh, subscribe to our show on whatever site you like. Folks, I can't thank you enough for tuning in and being a part of the show today and uh, making us a part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors 